All right, we're in this series, Meals with Jesus, and last week, I think it was announced, we don't want to just listen to sermons. We don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be participants. We want to be doers of the word. So um, I don't even know what the dates are, but I know Sunday of Labor Day weekend, someone get your phone out and look that up. It's the only time I want you looking at your phone, unless you're looking at the Bible. Okay, that's, all, that's uh, September 2nd, then the Sunday before that would be August 26th or something around there. Those two Sundays, um, we have, we're going to set this aside. We're going to set aside everybody coming in here, sitting in rows, all domesticated, all in order, and we are going to get outside our walls, and we're going to tailgate. Come on now. <laughs> now listen, not just tailgate for the sake of tailgating. It's just like I don't take people to Israel so they can go to Israel. Israel's the excuse. Israel's the excuse so we can sweat together, so we can walk together, so we can wake up and eat breakfast together. So we can have dinners together, so we can get to know each other, so we can do life together. We as a church need to get better at doing life together, eating together. And so we're going to step into that. Uh, and, and this day, I, listen, my staff showed little confidence that our church can do a tailgate. They're like, we got to provide all the food. And I said, nope, we'll provide food. We'll provide hamburgers. We'll provide hot dogs for just a few of you, some of you, because we believe that the rest of you will get excited about bringing your own food and not only making great food for yourself, but sharing it with other people. And if you don't have a grill and that's too cumbersome for you, we'll provide five big grills, but I want some of you to bring your grills as well, your little grills if, if you want. We're going to tailgate, all right? And... Uh, this whole tailgating experience is for the purpose of us eating together, getting to know each other, and the culminating point of any tailgate, tailgates go with football games, you kind of know that, right, is the game. You don't tailgate to tailgate, but the game. Well, the game on, on, on these two Sundays will be us then coming together, um, and we will take the meal of all meals as one body we will eat the body, the meal that Jesus offered, his body broken, his blood shed for us, and we'll eat it. Okay, so that's the plan. We'll keep this before you in the weeks to come. Okay. Let's go to Luke 19. Only because throughout the Gospels, you see so many people not just falling at Jesus' feet, but they do it publicly at any time in this gathering. Um, if you want to publicly just come up front and uh, fall on your face to repent, to worship Jesus, please feel free to do that. 
Let's stand for the reading of God's word, Luke 19. It's found on page 852. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Forgive me a minute. I got to take my contacts out. I can't see right now that well. I put the wrong ones in today, so. All right. That's better. I'm so sorry about that. That's terrible. You see all my failures and weaknesses anyway. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, by the way, that word for short um, could also mean young. Because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. He ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached that spot, he looked up, he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So at once, he hurried down and welcomed Jesus gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today's salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is God's word. You can be seated. So let's just get into the context of of, of this story. Uh, Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem with thousands upon thousands of Jewish pilgrims uh, for the Feast of Passover. I mean, this is the holiday that celebrates God's deliverance from Egypt. Now, let me just say something about these Jewish pilgrims. Uh, These Jewish pilgrims are not just Jews living in the land of Israel, but they are Jewish pilgrims coming from all over the world, from places as far as Babylon, Rome, Egypt, Greece. In fact, Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that Jerusalem for Passover, a city of 300,000, swelled to 303 million people during Passover. So the reason I say all this is, and let me just kind of show a PowerPoint that, that I think also explains. Uh, go to the other one really quick. So this is the land of Israel. So if you're coming from Babylon, if you're coming from Rome, if you're coming from the Greece, you're, com- you're, you're coming from either the east, the north, um, or, or the west, and the way that you make your way to Jerusalem is you're going to go down this rift valley uh, where you see the Dead Sea at the bottom, the the, the Sea of Galilee at the top, and in the middle is the Jordan River called the Jordan Rift there. And that is a road that comes all the way down south. And then you get to Jericho with just one last leg to the journey, just a 15-mile jaunt. Now, yeah, some of you have been to Israel and you're laughing already. That last jaunt, let me just show you what it is. 
um, it, it, it's called making aliyah. Aliyah is to go up because you always go up to God. And when you go to Jerusalem, you are literally going up to God. You're going to literally enter heaven where God is. But it also, uh, Jericho is 800 feet below sea level, and Jerusalem, 15 miles away, is 2,500 feet above sea level. And that road you take is the Jericho Road, which is through a hot, intense desert. And that's what uh, this is what you see here, Jericho being at the bottom. Um, and then you make your way, the ascent of Adamin is the Jericho Road, uh, making your way up to Jerusalem. Imagine this phenomena of being a, a, a Jew in the first century. And all of a sudden, in a, in, in a place like Jericho, where all these strangers, but yet brothers and sisters, part of your own Jewish family, but you don't know them, and they're from all these places in the world, converge. I mean, the, the buzz, the, the, the sense of anticipation. Jerusalem is just 15 miles away. Um, Passover, we're going to eat that meal. The most important meal of the year, the meal that God instructed, the Passover meal. In fact, Passover itself, we don't think about this. It's a feast. And I think one of the things that gets lost in the biblical story is that when you add up all the days that God instructed his people to feast, when you include Sabbath in those days, because that is a, a, a weekly feast, God instructs 100 days in the calendar year for the Jews to feast. And only one day a year does he instruct them to fast. And so then when I go to all these books on the spiritual disciplines, which make a big deal about fasting, but not one of these books ever talks about the spiritual discipline of feasting. It's because we're Greek. And we don't even realize how much we've made the Bible Greek, how much our spirituality is Greek because ancient Greek spirituality is about retreating from the world. It's about going into isolation. It's about escaping the physical world. It's about denying the material things. Because all that's bad to a Greek. But for the Jews, all of their holy days, from which we get the word holiday, they're all about being together. They all center around eating, around drinking, feasting. In fact, listen to this text that, that, that's in uh, Deuteronomy 14, verse 26. I think I have it on PowerPoint. No, I don't. I don't. This is uh, God's instruction. When you come and make aliyah and come into my presence... God says, use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Like when you come to me to give, to worship, take what you have and use it to eat and to drink. He said, then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. 
That's Hebrew spirituality. That's biblical spirituality. Now, Jesus makes his way into Jericho. It's a mob. All these pilgrims. And he pushes through the mob. And this mob is probably also all mobbing around Jesus. He pushes through this mob. And he comes to this man who's in a tree named Zacchaeus. And he says to him, I must stay at your house today. Now here's another contextual thing to think about. Jesus is inviting himself over for a whole day at this man's house. Eight days from this, he will be hanging on a cross. And Jesus knows this. Because Jesus is coming to Jerusalem for this very purpose. He knows he is the ultimate fulfillment of Passover. He knows he is the ultimate lamb who will provide the ultimate rescue. He will say to his disciples on that Passover Eve, this now is done in my name. This is my body. This is my blood. I am the meal that's offered for your deliverance. Tell me, if you had eight days to live, how would you spend them? Jesus is taking a whole day to spend with this man Zacchaeus. Now, why Zacchaeus? Here's what we know about Zacchaeus. First, we need to know that his name is Jewish. Zacchaeus is a Jew. Second, it says that Zacchaeus is a tax collector not just a tax collector, he is the chief tax collector residing in Jericho. Now in Jericho, or in Jesus' day, Jericho was a resort town. It means city of palms, so this is sort of their, their, their palm springs where all the wealthy and the elites of Jesus' day would have their second home. Even Herod has a big palace in the center of town. Um, Jericho also in the first century is, is called the key to unlock Israel because from the east, this is the gateway. This is the door into Israel. So think about it. Jericho is not only this wealthy resort uh, village where the elite priests and the elite and powerful people of Jesus' day have their second home, but it's one of the most traveled roads leading into Jerusalem. And now you're Rome, and, and, and you occupy uh, this land, and, and, and this to them is what we might call a cash cow, because Rome is looking at this, and they're going to tax this place. And the way that Rome would tax a place is they would hire a local who knew the city well, especially someone who knew where all the money was hidden, and Rome would give this person two things. First, it would give, them a, give this person a battalion, a Roman battalion. And the second thing, it would, it would give them the title of chief tax collector. Then with this person, they would establish a bottom line of how much taxable income they thought was in a city like Jericho. And they would say, you need to come up with this bottom line, but you can keep the rest. So these tax collectors would extract huge sums of money from their own people, their neighbors, the people that they grew up with. 
And here's the deal. If, if, if the people didn't comply, they would unleash Rome on them. I mean, some of them they would crucify. I can confidently say this. Zacchaeus is easily the richest and most powerful person in Jericho minus Herod. He's also the most hated. I mean, just think how twitchy we get if I just say these three letters. I-R-S. <laughs> um, but this is far more than IRS. This is like World War II, those, the, the, the French traitors who helped the Nazis uh, when, when, when the Nazis occupied France. This is why the Mishnah, which are Jewish writings that come out of Jesus' day, says that a tax collector should not even be considered a human being. And it's not a sin to lie to a tax collector because lying to an animal is not a sin. That's how they think. <laughs> tax collectors were forbidden from entering synagogue. They could only uh, enter the Gentile court of, uh, of the temple, even though they were Jews. It's because they had this official status of unclean. An unclean person was forbidden to be in public places because they might touch someone and make them unclean. Think about the lepers in Jesus' day. Anytime they entered the public place, they would have to shout out, unclean, 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 to warn people lepers were coming because they couldn't touch anyone. Zacchaeus is a social leper. He can't touch anybody. Nobody can touch him. So if you're wondering why, why Zacchaeus is up in that tree, it's not because he's short. Come on, think about it. Wealthy people always get the best seats, right? Front row seats. Zacchaeus is in the nosebleed section simply because he's an outcast. He's unclean. And I want us to see what Jesus just did. This mob is around him. He comes into Jericho and he finds the city's worst sinner and the most hated, despised person. And he walks up to him and says, I want to come to your house today. And we have talked about this, to, to, to just come into someone's house was, was, was more than, hey, let's just hang out, more than let's, let's have a cup of coffee. It, it symbolized so much. When, when you brought someone into your house, you were inviting them into the center of your life. And Jesus doesn't just say, Zacchaeus, I want to come into your house. He says, I must I must come into your house. I must come into your life. Invite me in. And here's Zacchaeus. Put yourself in this guy's shoes. Here is a guy who probably for the last two decades been spit on, been yelled profanities at, uh, being the most hated and rejected person in the whole town, 
maybe for the first time in decades, someone actually moves towards him, accepts him, wants to be with him, and it's Jesus. I mean, I can almost see Zacchaeus turning around the tree like, is there someone else up here? Are you talking to me? Yeah, Zacchaeus, I'm talking to you. I want to come to your house today. Invite me in. And I love what verse 6 says. Literally, the word is hurry there. Zacchaeus is like a little kid. He hurries down the tree. And it says he's filled with joy. I just see him like almost like dancing. Yes! He's coming to my house. And it says he welcomed Jesus. He welcomed Jesus into his home. He welcomed Jesus into the center of his life. And this whole scene doesn't go unnoticed. I mean, all eyes are on Jesus probably for the last two days of traveling. Where is he? What's he doing? Has he done a miracle yet? In fact, he did a miracle as he approached Jericho. crowd is just like on him. And look at verse 7. And all the people saw this. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. It's like the Pharisee two weeks ago when the sinful woman anointed Jesus' feet. He's literally muttering, does, 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 does Jesus even know who this woman is? Does he, does he know who's, who's touching him? Now it's the whole crowd. They're like, Jesus is what? Invited himself into the home of, of that guy? That sinner? That animal? And it's into this context that Jesus utters what I think is one of the most powerful things to ever come out of his mouth. The last verse, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. At face value, that's awesome. It's what we just sang. How marvelous. How wonderful. That my God would die for me. You sing that with tears coming down your face today? Did that make you want to dance? It's like Jesus says earlier in Luke 5 when, when, when he's eating with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and, 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 and the Pharisees are muttering again about that. And Jesus looks at them and he says, it's not the healthy who need the doctor but the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. I'm going to tell you something. If you see yourself as a righteous, good person, that's ho-hum to you. Or maybe it is even offensive. But if you're a sinner like me, 
That melts your heart. But this, 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 the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Most of us probably don't know this, but this is a quote from a pretty popular text in the Old Testament. It's a text that's, that, that's pregnant with, with all this messianic hope. It's, it's, it's Ezekiel 34. And, and, and my guess is, is that Jesus probably quoted the whole text and Luke just gives us a part of it. Or Jesus uh, did a teaching technique which is called remez, um, and it was pr- pretty common in that day. Jesus does it, Paul does it, they, they're, they're doing this all the time. It's a little bit like our whole game of name that tune, where you just give a few notes, and then uh, people guess what tune it is. Uh, this is the game that the rabbis would play when they were teaching. Instead of giving a few notes, they'd give just a little clause, and, and knowing you can only play this game if, if, if you're dealing with people that know the text. And that's what they're dealing with, people that know the text. And this is such a popular text. And if you want my paraphrase of Ezekiel uh, 34, it's this. It's God speaking. You leaders of my people, you shepherds of my flock, you have scattered the flock. You have trampled the grass so the sheep can't eat. You have muddied the waters so my sheep can't drink. You've scattered the lambs all over the hillside so that they are devoured by wolves, and you have not searched for them. And because you shepherds of Israel would not care for my flock, I will destroy you, declares the Lord Almighty, and I myself will become their shepherd, and I will seek and save the lost. What did that crowd hear Jesus saying about himself? (laughs) I mean, God says, I, I will become their shepherd, and I will seek and save the lost. Jesus just declared himself to be God, to be the shepherd who will come and seek lost sheep. Tell me what the religious crowd heard Jesus say about them especially their leaders. I mean, Jesus just indicted them. How dare you put this man in a tree? This man is one of God's sheep. And you have scattered him. God will destroy you. Or how about Zacchaeus? Tell me what Zacchaeus heard Jesus say. Are you kidding? I know I'm rotten. I know I'm awful, but Jesus, he just called me a sheep. I'm a lost sheep, but Jesus just said, I'm a sheep that God will seek, and he will find, and he will restore, and he will bring back in. If I had to guess, I bet when Zacchaeus, when this dawned on him, I bet tears welled up in his eyes because he hadn't been valued and loved in years. All he's heard is unclean, unclean, you sinner, you horrible animal. And for the first time in a long time, this sinner feels loved. You know what Zacchaeus means in Hebrew? Clean. 
and as unclean and, and, and as awful as Zacchaeus has become, Jesus never stopped believing that Zacchaeus could become Zacchaeus, clean. That this lost sinner could repent, that, 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 that God could bring him back into the fold. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And no one, no one, I don't care who you are, I don't care what you have done, if God can save and redeem Zacchaeus, he can save anyone. And then when you think about how, how Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, it's right here in our ta- text. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house to eat with you today. <laughs> it's like in Luke 7, verse 34, he, he says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And if we stop and think about this, the, the way that Jesus unleashes his whole movement, the way he seeks and saves the lost, it's, it's not through programs, it's not through events, it's not through through synagogue or church services. He ate meals. And who does he eat with? He eats with sinners and prodigals and prostitutes and tax collectors. These people flock to him. He's a magnet for the outcasts and and, and the untouchables, those who know in their heart that they're not good, but that Jesus is. In fact, so good is Jesus that they desperately run to him. They climb trees for him. They jump out of boats and they swim to him. They fall at his feet and they worship him. They take their most precious boxes and they break them open because they love him. I know you do, Richard. I know you love him. And you know who got frustrated with this? Mad, angry. It's in our text. All those people going to Passover, all those people going to church. The religious crowd hated Jesus for this. In fact, in Luke 7, verse 34, they call Jesus a glutton and a drunkard. A glutton and a drunkard. Now, I don't think it's so much because Jesus is a glutton and a drunkard. This, too, is a remez in the text. Let me show it to you. Uh, Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21. God says, if someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the city gate. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And then all the men of his town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. So when they call Jesus a drunkard and a glutton, it's them saying, Jesus, you are nothing but a rebellious son. Your whole movement is is rebellion against what we have set up. You need to be stoned. 
mean, it's a stunning and, 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 and convicting thing to read the Gospels and just ask these two questions as you're reading. Who are the people that are so attracted to Jesus, who love him with everything they have? And who are the people that are repulsed by him to the point that they want to kill him? It's worth asking this question. Who are the Zacchaeuses of our day? The political Zacchaeuses. The religious Zacchaeuses, people who are despised and hated, the social Zacchaeuses, the moral Zacchaeuses. Or let's ask it from this angle, are we doing anything to keep people away from Jesus in the way that this crowd kept Zacchaeus from Jesus? Are, are there things that we do that, that put the Zacchaeuses of our world up in a tree? Are we doing anything or saying anything that causes anyone to think that God doesn't love them and that God isn't seeking them and that God couldn't somehow cause them to turn to him? Or let's ask it from this angle, who are we eating with? Who's eating with us? Who's inviting us into their homes? Who are we inviting into our homes? Or let's just cut to the chase. Are we like Jesus? If Jesus is at the heart of our lives, at the heart of this church, wouldn't we be like him? And wouldn't the same people that were repulsed by Jesus in Jesus' day be repulsed by us? And wouldn't the same people who were attracted to Jesus also be attracted to us? Zacchaeus says his life changed. Verse 8, he says, look, Lord. Here now I give half of my money to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times. The requirement, if you know it in Torah, he's just gone way past it. It's because no longer is this about a rule for him. His heart's changed. In fact, I love that when he says, look, Lord, there's so much emotion in that. Like the little kid who, who, who climbs a tree, now he's like the little kid trying to please his dad. Look, dad, you see I love you. It's pure delight. It's, it, it, it's because Christ has come into his life like a thunderbolt and changed him from the inside out. That's why Jesus says what he says today. Salvation has come into this man's house. In fact, even that is a play on words because salvation in Hebrew is Yeshua, Jesus. That's what his name means. His name means salvation. Today, Yeshua has come to this man's house because when Jesus is invited into someone's life and is put at the center, that life will always be radically changed. And here's a man who betrayed his own people, who sold his soul because of the idol of money, an idol that once consumed him, it now has no power in his life. His heart is set free from the love of money, 
He's no longer running after money, having his life controlled by money. Money is just money, his worth, his significance. Uh, It's not derived from that. It's derived from the love and the grace and the acceptance of Christ. Now, if you know Luke's gospel, he, he, he lays this story right alongside a previous encounter with another rich man. The story of the rich young ruler, which is in the previous chapter, partly because they happen within a day of each other. But Luke also loves to do this. He loves to put two contrasts um, right next to each other. And this rich young ruler, if you remember the story, approaches Jesus and asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, well, keep the commandments. And the man responds, well, I've done that perfectly since I was a child. (laughs) And then Jesus says, well, one thing you still lack. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then the text says, this young ruler went away very sad. So in one encounter with Jesus and a rich man, one goes away sad. And in another encounter with a rich man, that person, Zacchaeus, is filled with joy and his life has changed. What's the difference? It's pretty easy. One thinks he's good, and the other doesn't. This young, rich CEO, he's, he, he's proud. He, he makes it all about him. You can see it in what he asks Jesus, what must I do? What must I perform? What must I achieve to earn salvation? And, and Jesus is going to pop this man's bubble by putting his finger on, on, on this man's area of lack. Keep the commandments. Well, that doesn't pop the bubble. He says, I've done that since I was a kid. So then Jesus exposes his heart and he says, I'm going to tell you to do something that I know you can't do. And he walks away sad. He he can't do it. But he doesn't need to walk away sad. But the reason he walks away sad is because he insists on it being all about him and about his goodness and, and, and what he brings to the table. And don't throw this guy on the bus because Jesus could put his finger on, on our idols and, and, and show us what we lack. In fact, you wouldn't even have to go so far as to say, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He could just say to us, go sell all your screens, your TVs, your computers, your phones, and all that. Give that money to the poor. Not that good. We have no reason to think we're good. And this is the difference between the rich man and Zacchaeus because no one has to tell Zacchaeus that he isn't good. He knows it. So when Jesus then singles him out and and accepts him and seeks relationship with him, it's like, whoa, me You want to be with me? You really want to accept me? And he dances. Yes. 
But the rich young ruler already thinks he's good. He probably even thinks he's more than good, that he's great. And, and, and he sees his relationship with God the same way he sees his money. It's something that he earns. It's something that he works hard for. It's something that he achieves because he's so good. But he's lost. He's lost in his goodness. He's lost in trying to be so good. And see, this is why over and over and over again, it's not the self-righteous Pharisee who loves Jesus. It's the sinful woman who loves him and who gets him. It's not the older brother who does everything right for his father. It's the prodigal, this wastoid who gets the love and acceptance of his father. It's, it's, it's not the praying Pharisee, but it's the publican, the tax collector, who beats his breast and says, Lord, have mercy on me a sinner. It's this one who gets forgiveness. And it's not the rich young ruler who has it all put together. It's the town's worst sinner, Zacchaeus, who gets Jesus and has his life changed. Are you Zacchaeus? Are you the rich young ruler? How does a rich young ruler become a Zacchaeus? Because that is the question. We're sadness and and, and despair because that's ultimately where when we do things in our own strength, through our own efforts, through our striving, will bring us. Where that is replaced with joy. Where we're set free from our idols to actually love Jesus with everything we have. Like, how does that happen? And the first thing we need is we need to let Jesus burst our bubble. We're not that good. And we need to let Jesus come in and and, and expose us and and, and let him put his finger on the things in our life that that, that show that, that, yep, I'm I'm not that good and and, and I'm lacking here and I'm seriously lacking here and, and I'm a debtor. I'm a sinner. I mean, think about Paul before he met Christ. He could say as as to the whole Torah, all the commandments, I'm perfect. I'm blameless. I've done them. But after his encounter with Christ and after Christ comes into his life, he says, I, Paul, am chief of sinners. See, this is how you know you've truly encountered Christ. He will always burst our bubbles. He will always expose our weaknesses, our need. He'll expose our sin. He'll expose what we lack. The second thing we need to do is we need to seek Christ with everything we have. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead. He climbed a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus. Since Jesus was coming his way, he had to see him. I want you to think about the humiliating thing that Zacchaeus is willing to do. Listen, he runs way ahead of the crowd so everybody can see him. And he does what little kids do grown adults do not climb trees. This grown man. Climbs a tree. I want to see Jesus. I want him. 
When's the last time you wanted Jesus this badly? Where you were willing to publicly, publicly humiliate yourself. And I'll tell you why we should all be seeking Christ this, this way. It's, 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 it's definitely, for Zacchaeus, not an, a thing I have to do. It's something he wants to do. It's because Christ sought us this way. He sought us with, with absolutely everything he had. I mean, think about it. For Jesus to say to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come out of that tree Jesus, eight days later, would have to climb a tree, the most humiliating tree, as the most despised and rejected man. Because for Jesus to truly seek and to save lost people, he would take upon himself everything that we deserve, and he would place on Zacchaeus everything that he deserves. And to get Zacchaeus to come down from that tree, Jesus hung on a tree. In fact, Jesus actually is the rebellious son who who deserves to die, uh, not because he is rebellious, but because he's taken all of our rebellion, all of our unclean upon himself and placed all of his righteousness and clean unto us. And see, when you and I see Jesus seeking us and saving us with everything that he has, we should therefore seek him with everything, everything we possess. Invite him in. Welcome him into the center of your life. Let's pray. How marvelous, how wonderful that my God would die for me.